Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Hey, Champagne Sharks, it's been a while since we had guests, but we are trying to get back into the groove of that. And this is about a movie that is about to um, be even more the talk of Twitter and film Twitter and film YouTube and whatever, everything, everywhere, all at once. um, A lot of people love this movie. I did not, uh, for people who think I'm a hater, this will not do much to reverse that. Mm -hmm. Uh, assessment of me but yeah i did not like this movie and i have with me three people who also have thoughts on the movie that have and uh one of them has has bled for her opinions on this movie um (laughs) they've they've let it all let it all on the floor they were dragged all over um twitter um yeah so i mean we're gonna go one. We're gonna go one by one, but I'll start with Avery because Avery has the most skin in the game from from, <laughs> from being uh, the character of the day because of not liking this movie. So if you don't mind yeah, introducing were, yourself and letting people know who you are and your ordeal, murdering me in the quote tweets on that one. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm Avery Edison. I'm a former comedian and now sort of nebulous internet personality person. Um, I was big when Twitter was big, I think is the best way to say it. And now I'm dying when Twitter is dying. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good intro for me. I Yeah, I basically made an initial tweet saying I didn't like the film. And I thought that its its message was bad. And uh, I did what you should never do, which is I doubled down after the slightest tiny pushback. And then it just sort of snowballed from there until people who thought this was a movie about radical empathy and kindness that had forever changed them were sliding into my DMs to tell me to kill myself. Uh, and I think that's that's a, a pretty good critique of the movie right there. Yeah, that's that's radical kindness, all right. Uh, you know, uh, something that we were saying before we started recording when Avery and I were uh, talking, I was saying how I noticed a lot of the movies and shows that have the most over-the-top um, schmaltziness or smarminess or, um, you know toxic positivity to them have like the meanest most vicious fans it's like never fails and like my theory is that they're such nasty people like they need their positivity so over the top to compensate like you know for i think that type of uh inner inner darkness but that's that's i'm not saying everybody who likes this movie is like that but i think there's a certain type of person who is uh um you know, they're like, fuck you. This is positive and loving. <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay. You know, but uh, Kieran uh, is our next guest who has done a actual review of this movie. And I don't think you ended up on the radar uh, quite to the degree that uh, Avery has. But if you don't mind letting us know who you are, um, how you came to write your review and what your experience with this movie is. Hey, uh, so my name is Kieran McLean. Uh, I'm living in Auckland, New Zealand right now. 
Um, and yeah, like I started this, I used to work at media and I started the Substack um, for kind of the same reason that you were talking about before the recording tea, which is like, I would see stuff people on the internet, particularly like, like praising stuff to this almost hyperbolic degree that I didn't think was good. Um, and a lot of this work is just me going like, okay, I, I don't think this makes sense. Like, I don't think this adds up. I'm basically like a, an unpaid buzzkill in that respect. Um, but yeah, this movie interested me um, because I saw it once and I, I was moved by it. Like I teared up at the laundry and taxes line. Um, but I felt this like fissure of doubt that I had trouble articulating, like something was, was wrong. I felt like I was almost being emotionally manipulated um, into, into a certain kind of reaction. Um, so I watched it again and took careful notes and that fissure exploded into a kind of chasm, um, uh, where I was really able to like identify the logical holes and be like, okay, this doesn't add up. This doesn't add up. Like, this is a grand theory of everything that doesn't quite come together. Um, and I think that's like inextricably linked to this fan base that Avery ended up on the wrong side of, um, who, who like worship and evangelize this film with almost a religious devotion. Um, and I'm very interested in, in that aspect, um, because I think, I think the Daniels aren't the only ones appealing to this kind of like, like religious impulse in a, in a moderately like secular, secular desacralized world, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, no, so that's my feeling. We'll probably talk more about it, stuff later. Yeah. It does make sense, but there's also this kind of weird and Rick and Morty and a lot of these other shows have the same kind of thing where it's like, um, I'm going to enjoy the decline or there's no point to anything. It's like a covert nihilism disguised as like a twee um, love fest. But it's kind of like, you know, if you actually listen to things like they say, like like Rick and Morty says stuff like, hey, uh, Rick, we're on a big ball of dirt that's floating around. We're all going to die. So let's just go watch TV. And people like post these memes as like kind of like these cutesy, lovey things like, you know, we're all going to die anyway, so let's just enjoy um, little things like watching TV. But it's... And this thing has kind of the same stuff. Like, when there's... when they're, Both of them are rocks, and they're just sitting there. The stuff they're saying is meant to be kind of smarmy and cutesy and whatever, but it's really kind of, like, bleak. Is this yeah, weird... Yeah. It, yeah, this is weird type of um, saccharine bleakness to it that uh, it's so nihilistic but it doesn't want to like own it it's it's um i mean we, we could talk about that more as we go on but i just wonder if you guys kind of um felt felt what i'm talking about there, there was like within the emotional manipulation there was this kind of feeling that's like you know like um fuck you this is like really bad messaging you know with a nice soundtrack it's just i think i think the thing about hopeful nihilism is that it is at its heart still nihilism and yes. you're ne you're never going to escape the destructive, selfish tendencies of nihilism. Even if you dress up, if you say I'm using my nihilism to get to a more uh, optimistic outlook, well, that's that's like that's like using an anchor to get you uh, to the top of the ocean. Like it's that's just not going to happen. You can you can swim while you've got the anchor tied around your ankle all you want, but you're you're going to end up sinking because it's an it's an anchor. Is that a good metaphor? Uh, no, it works. For, it works for yeah. me. It works for me for sure. Um, also, uh, before I forget, Chris is our fourth um, person. I saved him for last because I think he might have been turned around in the movie. He rewatched it. And <laughs> I, I, I rewatched it this morning. I woke up at six a.m. 
because it was the only time slot I had this week before this pod. So yes, I I have the freshest, I think, probably viewing of the movie. And now you're a super fan. You've done a full 180. <laughs> Uh, all right, so introduction to myself. I mean, I've been on this pod like several times before, a uh, writer for a magazine called Plan A. Uh, we also have a podcast that came from Plan A, and I've done some writing for publications like Current Affairs. Uh, I live in New York City, so I mean, this is a pretty international podcast. We got people in the UK and New Zealand, but uh, T, uh, you know, we, we live in the same city and we hang out regularly. So yeah, there's some localness here. And, and um, from... As an Asian American, did you feel any particular type of um, that this spoke to you in any any way? Did you feel represented by this movie? I'll put it this way. Um, I mean, I'll talk about more later. But I, I on the second rewatch, I, I liked it slightly more. I think the first forty five minutes is actually quite well done. Then it gets into this whole like self esteem driven uh, bullshit that really like ruins it. But um, if it were just just a movie, I would I would be fine with it. But but the the type of people who like it and the reasons they like it. And you can see this so much in these articles I've written about, especially by Vox. Uh, that's that's what really uh, amped up my distaste for it. Because if it's like, if we're just looking at it as a movie uh, and it was it was like successful and everything, I, you know, I'd be like, it's fine. But the, the way that, I mean, some of you mentioned this kind of, you know, people attach like a life philosophy to this. And it's like, wait a minute, that, okay, let, then let's examine what it is. And it's total bullshit uh, what this movie is saying. See, I hate it even as just a regular movie. Forget like the self-esteem <laughs> stuff. But like, w- w- one of the things that one of the problems I have with a lot of stuff now, right? And they're really leaning into it with this um, multiverse stuff. I feel like the multiverse stuff is a perfect like analogy or um, mechanism for the type of immaturity that we have now, where it's like I feel like. I feel like immaturity is just hoarding and having as much stuff as you can get. And maturity is the act of realizing limits. Like, you know, you can't have it all. Someday you're going to die. You're never going to fly like Superman. You're never going to, you know, you, you can't be the 12 jobs that you want to be. Like, you want to be an astronaut slash comic artist slash superhero slash whatever. No, like, part of maturing, you have to pick one thing. Like, you know, you have to get ready for your parents to die you have to pick um in theory um one partner no no um shade to you know even if you're polygamous you have to settle on your final polycule whatever and the multiverse to me is like um storytelling childishness like i can just put every single thing i want into something and i don't have to make any choices if somebody dies i'll just put another version of them five minutes later from another universe and boom, they're, they're back again. I can have my cake and eat it too. I can have a fake, um, you know, like, like, like for example, the Spider-Man, um, whatever that thing was, Across the Spider-Verse thing. Well done thing. It's well animated. You know, it's competently written. But the sticks are like fake. Like they have the quote-unquote real Spider-Man die and the Miles Morales has to take over. But five minutes later, hey, but hey, look, there's another, there's another Spider-Man. The same guy. He's just from another world. He has a five o'clock shadow. You know, they, there you go. And I think the multiverse stuff is all over the place and it takes the stakes out of everything, like time travel and multiverse. You can just do whatever you want. Um, just undo it five minutes later. Um, and the creativity is kind of fake too, because I feel like there's more creativity with, with limits. Like, okay, I have this character. Who is this character going to be? 
what's their stakes going to be? What's their likes, dislike? But in this one, it's like, and with all these multiverse things, it's like, okay, um, this character is everything. This character, here's this character as a lesbian. Here's this character as a hot dog finger person. Like all these pointless things. Here's this character as a mean person, a nice person. And then at the end of the day, I felt like there was no real kind of characters there. It was just names and concepts and 50 half-baked versions of each each one that no choices mattered for. Like so little of it made sense to me as in like there's stuff that happened with the Evelyn that we're following, right? Where she clearly says and does crazy things during the um, tax return thing. And then even like gets into a physical altercation with the auditor. But later on, everything's okay. Even in the same universe, like even the stuff that happened in this universe that I'm like, how is she going to explain this when the adventure is over? Boom. It, it didn't matter. Like, and yeah, I don't know uh, why it didn't. Do, do, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Do you guys want to just like go start from the beginning uh, and just like just plot the movie uh, uh, just as, as it goes and then we can comment on, uh, I, on the I, elements that come in? I did just want to say about uh, just about the multiverse, like the proliferations of that idea across yeah. media. I think it's definitely a reaction to and reflection of the death of monoculture and how every every property has to deal with the fact that you've got so many other competing properties. So the fans that you do have for your thing, one, they need to be much more actively engaged to make up for the loss of attention uh, from the width of audience. So instead, you, you're going to have a narrow audience that's going to be much more deeply involved uh, with your with your property, right? And that's why we get the creation of fandoms and the aggressive marketing of this isn't just a movie like any of the 200 movies that get released every year. This is the most important movie you will ever see that will fundamentally change your life, right? And that creates the aggressive audience. But also, once you've got that audience hooked into your property, you need to, and this is what the Marvel Universe has done, you're constantly worried you'll you'll lose them if you do something they don't like. So with the multiverse, you do get to say like, okay, well, we've got all these fans that love Captain America. Some of them will want that Captain America story to have an ending. So yes, he travels back in time, he, he you know, dies with, uh, lives a long life with his wife and then dies or whatever. Uh, but don't worry, the multiverse means we can say to the other fans that still want him to be alive, yes, he's still alive. He's he's still there. There are more stories to come with him in this potential uh, multiverse. And um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's, it's just, very non-committal. It's non-committal. Yeah. It's its own kind of nihilism in that it's it says there's no there's no point to actual uh, stakes or storytelling because there can always just be something else. But um, yeah, it's the the whole multiverse thing across the media landscape, like. I think that's that's one of the huge reasons for it. And I don't know, I feel like the Daniels wanted to make a movie about like family trauma or whatever and saw that, you know, studios are very interested in multiverses and that was how they could sell this movie. But it was always very weird for me to see this movie described as a multiverse movie because I don't especially think it is one. It certainly doesn't really take advantage of the multiverse yeah. angle aside from a few montages and one camera trick that they saw on tumblr eight years ago yeah it's like they've used the multiverse stuff to give it a fake kind of depth like a fake kind of world building to give it like this kind of scope that's not there and i think a good comparison like i call it pseudo world building um because i feel like real world building is something like 
whether you like it or not, um, Game of Thrones, I think, is good world building. No matter how you feel about the the final product, there's like probably a thousand different characters by the time the books end. You know, he has so many characters and a backstory for every single one. And it's kind of really kind of mind boggling to think of all those characters and worlds and races and countries that he creates. Whereas when you do something like Doctor Strange 2 or everything everywhere all at once, you feel like you're watching something grand. And that word has been used a lot to describe this. Like, oh my God, it's epic. It's grand. It's the scope is, you know, mind boggling. But it's five characters. It's not at all. It's it's a, it's, it's, it's five, it's five characters in one gray office building. Yeah, but a hundred variations, half big variations of each one. Like you know that you saw for like five seconds, and and the same thing happened with Doctor Strange too. It's like there's only like four characters in this thing, but it's like oh, here's a split second where the world is made of liquid. Wait, here's a part where it's a world of skeletons. He's he's a world of red lights that mean go and you know it's okay this is not big at all you've just taken four people and just spitballed 50 half-baked ideas that would not make it to the final cut of a movie um for each for each character and just pretended that you just world built and um i do want to get to chris's idea of starting at the beginning but i just wanted yes. to just front load those um complaints about how in addition to self-esteem stuff, I don't think it was a very well-crafted sci-fi or fantasy movie um, either. Well, the first time I watched it, I couldn't keep track of all the rules. And I, I think at a certain point, they just gave up. It's like, just Yeah, the rules end up not even mattering. And you'll just end up in a different... You're like downloading powers like in the Matrix after you do random stuff. And even though random stuff's not that like similar, there's like that infamous part where they have to... Those guys have to jam those things up their asses. But then... Evelyn just I don't know like lick some guy's nose like that's not the same like it, what is this it's well and it's also very interesting that the one the hilarious sexual violence of someone uh inserting something into their anus against against what they actually would rather happen to them um it that would be a random thing the first time but then they just kind of do it over and over again like surely it's less and less random yeah the rule the rules completely just collapse and and don't make any sense. Yeah, I also thought that was both a little aggressive and kind of immature on their part. I was like, oh, penetration, ha like unwilling penetration, ha like Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, but I, I think as to both of your earlier points, um, like to, I guess to tie Chris's one about plotting and the multiverse one, um, like I agree with you guys that it does. Like, it does seem in this film like an attempt to sort of remain in a childish world and to crucially avoid living in the adult world with vexing trade-offs, strictures, and contradictions. And I also agree with Chris's point that the film actually starts out well, which is why it's disappointing. Like, in the beginning, we get Evelyn staring at a pile of receipts in preparation for her laundromat audit. So um, we've got three character dynamics. Uh, her dad shouts, where's my breakfast? Her husband tries to serve her divorce papers. And she says something rude enough to her daughter that she drives off in tears, um, which is actually like an excellent setup because she's going to like in the real world, she'd have to pick and choose, right? Like she'd have to either pick soothing her father at the expense of her relationship with her daughter or picking her daughter um, at the expense of uh, losing her father. Um, but in this film, through this total like weird illusion, multiversal illusion of logic, she can just have her cake and eat it too. Like she gets all of it. Um, 
and I think that more than any amount of sci-fi drove me nuts because I was like, old people don't actually change. Yeah, anyway, sorry, yeah. I'm not gonna say, and the sheer frenetic energy that which they throw all the fake world building and uh, and concepts at you keeps you from realizing what you just said, which is that none of the emotional uh, payoffs have been earned. Like, like what really happened that made anything? Well, first off, I think uh, Avery probably has some thoughts on this based on her tweet. Like, first off, I don't even understand what the real problem is because she's hardly the worst mother. Like, I feel like Evelyn is the most (laughs) over-the-top, whiny. Like, I don't even understand what her trauma really is. You mean Joy. Oh, is that her name, Joy? Oh, yeah, uh, Evelyn. Yeah, you said Evelyn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Joy is like the most. Um, you know, like I'm like I don't, I don't even get what your problem is. She's almost like the stereotype. But I think that's on purpose, though, because you got to keep it blank so everyone can project their own issues, their own mommy issues or daddy issues onto her. And I think purposely they kept it vague because I mean, okay, so she's got the whole uh, my mom doesn't approve of the person I'm dating, which is only kind of half true because Kieran, you wrote this in your review. One of the first things we hear Evelyn say in the movie was, you're lucky to have a mom who accepts that you have a girlfriend, especially a white one or something. So and it's clear yeah. from the start that she's not like against it. Maybe she's not Effusive. blowing a bugle horn yeah. uh, in celebration. But, you know, most parents aren't probably that ecstatic about your partner anyway, if you're straight even. So I don't know what her problem there is. Uh, and then I, there are parts where she says like, uh, I got a tattoo, which is a very childish thing to have a rift about your uh, over your parents with. So I think she's just like a very um, by the numbers type. Okay, what what's the type of child a parent would sort of disapprove of? Uh, she has like the wrong partner. She has body modifications. I think she also says she dropped out of college, although we don't know why. And she's just like kind of generally a loser. Is not really making much of her life, but she's not really a character. And then onto that sketch, people can easily project whatever they want. I mean, I I have been told by the internet that I am fundamentally <laughs> incapable of understanding the dynamics of this family um, because of my race. And oh God, don't no, don't listen to that in, bullshit. Don't listen. In to order bullshit. to not get yelled at, I will accept that, despite the fact that um, <laughs> I'm not an idiot. I've seen movies and films about this kind of stuff before. I've read books with these dynamics. I've spoken to people from these backgrounds and I'm a human being capable of empathy and you know white people also have complicated family dynamics related to uh parental neglect and trauma homophobia fat phobia all the stuff that the daughter is going through I think she has a genuine complaint with her mom I think her mom is awful to her I don't see one moment of uh kindness from the mother to the daughter in in those opening sections of the movie. I think it is an interesting uh, family drama because that daughter in my like internet adult, no contact Reddit advice brain, she has every reason to be like, fuck you, I'll come back for Thanksgiving once a year or something. But other than that, you are only a toxic presence in my life. I t- I totally... I watched those scenes. I've had, you know, difficult family stuff happen, especially with regard to, you know, my queerness, my like gender identity, all that stuff. I I completely get it. Um, the the offensive thing about the movie to me was the idea that her fake attempt to change at the end that is immediately undercut with her calling her daughter fat in a way that is needless and cruel. That that's what that's what rankles me, not not the idea that any of it's uh fake but yeah mostly the thing that rankled me was 
was people telling me I wasn't capable of getting it because I'm I'm not I'm not an idiot. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I, I've heard the word second generation before, and the kind of like heard about the the struggles that come with the family dynamics attached to that. I get it. Yeah, I know, it's I funny enough. a lot to hang a movie on there. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Karen. Well, I was about to say, relate relative to your sort of um, like the criticism of your identity in relation to your criticism of this movie. I funnily enough experienced something similar where like, and, and to be clear, like I'm half Indian, right? And I'm partially disowned by the Indian member, like more conservative Indian members of my family for having kind of stepped off the success ladder. Like once upon a time, I was on track to like be a Goldman or, or do the tra- traditional success thing. And because I stepped off that, some of them want nothing to do with me. So in many ways, like I, I have a lot in common with Joy. Like she, I agree with you. She makes sense to me as a character. Um, but, uh, but I guess I found two interesting things about this. One of which was when I pushed back on characterizations of myself as white and like therefore incapable of understanding the film, like this sort of radical empathy fan base was like, oh, you're not really Indian. You're not really Asian. You don't get it, which is just like factually untrue. Um, and the second being that like, I don't like the film's message that you should wait for your mother to change. Like as yeah. painful as, as it is, I think like, like genuine self-liberation can only come from accepting that not everyone you love is going to understand every part of your identity. And just so long as they can live with you, that's like sometimes the best you're going to get. Um, and yeah, it, it just, it, it was, it was a really, it was just a bratty movie. Like it just felt like a, uh, a movie written by brats, um, uh, with sympathy to brats. And I was just oh. like, like get it together guys. Come on. Yeah. I was in Korea in November uh, and I was having dinner with my cousin. She's like about, let's see, probably like three or four years younger than me. And she was like, we were just talking about movies she watched and she had actually seen this movie uh, when it came out in Korea. And she was just like, but in the end, it's all basically about like some girl's teenage angst. And even her who like, I mean, she kind of spent some time, you know, studying abroad and stuff. But, you know, this is like somebody from a totally different culture and everything. Even she saw this movie and was like, there, there's no there there, you know? I mean, I, I think given her situation, I mean, we got to see a lot of Evelyn's background. I don't think she's like that bad of a mom. I mean, I don't think she's a great mom. She is certainly very distracted by, or I wouldn't say distracted, right? Where she's very uh, occupied by other things besides making her daughter feel great and everything. But I think just from what we see in the movie, I, I think it's justified. So it's, all the stuff and all the stuff that gets written about how, it, like, I mean, you guys referenced the rock scene, and I don't want to jump too ahead of the movie, but I was watching it the second time, and it was just like the the daughter rock is like saying all these like words of wisdom about time and space, and the mom is just like listening, and I, I just thought like that is just very it's such a pure all fantasy that it, it's it's to ch- listen to the children and they will teach the elder and the only way the elder learns is to uh, blame it on their elder because in the end she uh, tells the James Hong character her dad like you know I'm, I'm not going to do to my daughter what she did to me so that's the only way to break the cycle is to always blame the one who came before you uh, and in this case yeah. especially for Asian Americans it's very convenient because of the type, type of like Asian Americans who, who love this type of movie usually is the older you are and the closer to the, the the Asian culture or the or the problem culture you're trying to get away from by assimilating into America. The closer to that you are, the more problem you are. So the you know so the you're okay. Maybe your immigrant parents are at fault, but you know what? Their parents are at fault because they're older and they're even closer to Asia. And then their parents and their parents. It goes back, and you are the natural product of uh, just like 
this natural progression into enlightenment and whatever. So and yeah, like, yeah, it's passive aggressive. Yeah, and intergenerational trauma is a very trendy uh, artistic, oh, I hate that word. It's such artistic, artistic theme now. And, you know, lots of talk of uh, epigenetics. And it's like I, I have gone to so many plays and shows with the word epigenetic. If you told me 10 years ago that I would see multiple works of art in a single year that use the word epigenetics, I'd be like, I, 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 don't, I don't see that happening. But no, that, that, I, that's where we are. I mean, I, you know, it's dicey territory for me as a white person, but anytime I hear or read something about epigenetic trauma, it really strikes me as like low key eugenicists. You don't have to feel bad about that. 90% of the time, I guarantee you, it's bullshit. Didn't it start yeah. by saying, you know what, if you like say your parents like survived the war, there's like, you know, maybe even like certain chemicals in their body that I'm now it's just like, oh, my dad didn't come to my my football game. I have intergenerational trauma. It's such bullshit. Yes, it's very bizarre. But it's like I know we differ on on the mother, and I think I'm probably biased because you know, uh, coming from like uh, having immigrant parents, like she was above and beyond most immigrant parents I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> to, to, to me, like like the whole fact that she. Uh, has and I know it's not as ideal as like a lot of Westerners would would like, but you know, like um, she was at least like like trying, you know, like because uh, she had no kind of training for this type of uh, modern Western situation, and she wasn't perfect. I'm not letting her off the hook, but uh, I, I think it's a much more interesting movie if they go much harder. If the if the uh... If you though they they really lean into the worst excesses of this yeah. kind of parenting, yeah, and yeah, exactly. really give us a reason for Exa- for this fractured family. Yeah, they kind that, of that dance, is much more. Yeah. But they they want her to be likable. You know, yeah, exactly. it's your main character, right? They're afraid. They're afraid to make her have any real rough edges. So so they say how bad she is, and she's not perfect. I'm not gonna say that you know she couldn't handle some stuff better, but I didn't really see her being the type of person that would create this amount because i feel like the evil joy was supposed to be like allegorical like you know um so on some level what's happening to our our joy feels as extreme or world ending as what's happening to this cosmic uh joy and i don't feel like the parallel was really uh there you know you know what i'm saying like i don't think they really tracked in severity um well, because like, J- J- Jobotaki, like her, the reason she becomes what she is and creates the the bagel is because Alpha Evelyn does those experiments on her, right? So you would think, okay, so obviously uh, normal Evelyn didn't experiment on her. So this is all, uh, and obviously a normal Joy didn't create some kind of like mass universe extinction device. So what is its equivalent? You would Exactly. Think, you would think, okay, maybe real Evelyn pushed her daughter too hard to be some, you know, go to the best schools or achieve greatness or whatever. But you don't get any sense of that in the movie. It seems like mainly that she doesn't recognize her like sexual orientation enough. Uh, and it's just, it just doesn't, you know, doesn't the correlation or, yeah, or the, exactly. it's not proportional. And you I don't, you don't exactly. know what the equivalent of the real life main event is. Cause in the, the, in the alternate universe for it's, it's obviously Evelyn's fault. Like Jobotaki didn't become like that on her own. It was all kind of Evelyn's fault. So what's Evelyn's fault in real life? That's the equivalent. And it's not quite clear. 
I bought her more as a bad wife than a bad mother, to be honest. Oh yeah, she yeah she's a, she, yeah she's not she's not a great wife either. Um, she is. I mean, uh, Kieran, I think you um said this in your review. She just essentially doesn't even know Wayman's there, and she often <laughs> expresses a much greater preference for Alpha Wayman and and the one car Y uh Wayman uh way more than actual Wayman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it was funny in the sense. Um, yeah, thanks for noting that because like like the way Michelle Yeoh plays the character, um, it almost bleeds through. Like like because there's this great line where um, um, where uh, the Alpha Wayman, the actor plays him differently. Like he like he adopts different body language, and you can tell that Evelyn's character is more attracted to that. And I don't actually think there's anything wrong with that. Like she likes what she likes, and she likes these sort of more alpha type figures. Um, but what what I felt was strange was like the uh, the directors at the end they shoehorn her back into a marriage which is destined to fail because she's not physically or emotionally attracted to her husband. Um, like that's a very conservative ending, like shoehorning a woman back into a sexless marriage. Um, yeah, and it, it just I, I think her life in general is uh, fucked after this because I mean her her problem at the beginning of the movie is that she's constantly uh thinking of of what could be right the better possibilities she could maybe have a better husband her daughter could be better she's got all these hobbies because she hates her work and is searching for a, a different uh, life path in that way and what she gets confirmed by the plot device of the film is that oh yeah all these possibilities are out there like endless infinite possibilities that she could get at any time and as much as she says she is happy with with this reality there's no there's no way that's possible it just it just would break your brain forever especially if you're already of that tendency right but, I, don't but think I think it's that, that happy ending in that way I in think that, sense. that goes exactly to why the multiverse is a cope though because you guys uh hit on that point earlier and it's a cope because hey if there's a uh infinite version of me and one of them I'm like king of the universe then hey I don't have to do anything in this world and there's a part actually in this Vox article. Um, it's called like "Why We Loved Everything Everywhere All at Once" and "Why We Hope It Wins the Oscar." It specifically references <laughs> they love they love the movie because they're saying they say, "Oh, the best rapper is a white supremacist." We have um, uh, Ron DeSantis turning Florida into whatever, and they say that we got AI bots creating you know digital girls with like double E breasts. It's like, it's so nice to watch a movie that takes us out of the timeline. They are actually using the same copium that the the whole like multiverse narrative structure does for just like filmmakers and, and, and everyone who loves this is that, you know what? I don't actually have to accomplish anything because I've already accomplished it. In, if there, in, in some, in some if there world are a million there, better worlds out there, we don't need to expend energy making this yeah. one better. Right, so I mean, Evelyn I mean, knows yeah, that... My potential it, has been proven. Like, yeah. Right, right, right. And Evelyn knows in some world she is the the biggest movie star in in China or or Taiwan or wherever she that country is. Life's great. So you know if I accomplish it here, I've already accomplished it. So it is that uh, I think, and I think it's particularly soothing to a kind of well educated class who has that constant anxiety of, oh my god, you know I got uh, I was in the gifted class. I got these SAT scores. I went to an Ivy League yet I didn't accomplish greatness like what, what's wrong with me and then they watch movies like this and you know what i i probably already did in some other world so hooray for me i can i can finally um because there's there's also a line she says in the end where to her dad where she's like you know i i'm you know something about you know finally be, her, him being proud of her or whatever so I, I think that speaks to that anxiety as well 
Yeah. Um, for people who are, I'm gonna put a link to this in the show notes. But for people who are interested, um, Kieran's newsletters, Kieran McLean dot dot com, and his review is called "Everything All the Time to All People: Why Independent Filmmakers Shouldn't Sacrifice Adult Complexity for Affirmation." And I love that you use that word because. Um, at this podcast, we came up with um, this uh, phrase that we said is like everything now, which is like uh, saved, S-A-V-E. And that's like oh, yeah. seen, seen, affirmed, validated, and empowered. Like if you have any combination of those four things, if you're like, we'll save the audience, um, they will put up with just about um, anything. You know what I mean? And uh, like some of it sounds... Um, duplicative like affirmed and validated but the way i uh when i looked it up the way i read the difference between affirmed and and, uh, validated affirmed is um when you're told that you're all right or you're okay because of what you believe or what you've done and invalidated is almost even more narcissistic in in that you're okay just because of what you are so uh you're a woman, you're a minority, you're white, whatever. You're just your identity or your your family name or just just without even doing or believing anything, you're automatically um okay. And I feel like this is definitely in that uh spectrum. Like like your use of the word um affirmation, I definitely uh felt that. There, there's a lot of affirming happening. And one of the things I think uh Chris touched on, but you also linked to it in the article uh something that was in the article called the uh, millennium apology fantasy where you know yeah. there's all these movies coming out and shows where uh the millennial gets to tell off their parent and the parent um listens and one thing about i'm i'm um i'm younger i'm younger gen x uh i'm not millennial but like um one thing i noticed about i feel like my generation was like the proto, like where a lot of this kind of stuff started, you know, before I hit full bloom with, with millennials. And uh, one thing I feel like I noticed, and we had a recent episode about this, is the death of elders. Like the idea of an elder, like the only thing an old person can teach you is how to be racist, homophobic, transphobic, uh, misogynistic or whatever, or just how to be backwards, uh, really. There's not really much the idea of like an older person being a useful mentor, I think has kind of died with millennials and younger. And it's not even just for any particular race, like, like for white people, uh, the only thing an elder can teach you is how to be like a colonizer and a genocider maybe, but for like minorities, um, even younger minorities are into the death of the elder. Cause they just see the older people as, Oh, you guys didn't really fight white supremacy enough. Or you guys were, um, too backwards and hard on 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 the kids and and this movie i think is very shot through with that with both generations like you know like joy is just kind of the best one just because she's younger there's not really anything she really does or believes or any type of real wisdom i mean her wisdom and as a rock is just basically this kind of generically nihilistic uh twee you know but she she's like a martyr she is she has authority because of all the wrongs done to her. She know she doesn't have any particular accomplishments or insights. She just she's yeah. just like the victim. So I agree with that totally. 
simultaneously a victim and the greatest mass genocidal force in <laughs> in history, right? Yeah. I think that's yeah. kind of a power fantasy where it's like, yeah, I know, if, maybe if I it's, could. it's kind of like the tyranny of the small bean, right? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. there, there's an extra <laughs> the cry power bullying. in... The cry bullying, the victim the bullying. The cry bully, right, yeah. Like, yeah, when people are mad at her for trying to destroy the world, she says, how dare you? I'm a, I'm a little baby boy and it's my birthday and I'm wearing glasses. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely like, it's not just a revenge fantasy, it's a righteous revenge fantasy, right? No, it's, so, yeah. it's totally, it's totally yeah, true. That, that's what... That's what makes it annoying because a revenge fantasy would be pretty sweet, especially if the person taking revenge is just like deliciously evil and whatever. But they got to be righteous about it. And that's what makes this kind of shit so annoying. I, I read this exactly. Really, yeah. Yeah. I read this really good book uh, that was a breakdown of the uh, all right, alt right and stuff. And it was called It Came From Something Awful. It was a pretty good book, but at a chapter about Tumblr, I thought it was very interesting. And I told the guy, you should expand the Tumblr chapter and make that into a book too, because everybody's kind of doing a taxonomy of um, 4chan and the alt-right and everything. It was around the time of Trump. But I'm like, I think this side of things has become its own type of cultural hegemony, uh, you know, especially like in pop culture. But nobody's really doing a taxonomy of it. But he made like a pretty interesting point where he's like, I studied 4chan and I studied early Tumblr live journal. And one thing that's interesting is that they're very similar and both are very hierarchy obsessed. Like the 4chan people are all about like, uh, I'm an alpha, I'm a beta, I'm a gamma, I'm an omega, I'm a sigma male. And and these are the racial hierarchies. Here's, here's the IQ hierarchies. And they have this kind of eugenicist view of the world, like modern Nazis and everything. But they want to create these hierarchies and then slot themselves into the highest hierarchy that they can and you know use it as kind of proof of why everyone should like listen to and defer to them and everything and he's like on the tumblr live journal side they're just as obsessed with hierarchy it's uh, people think it's like the opposite world but it's really a similar world like you know but it's like uh like latinos are you know above you know asians but below black people and afro latinas are this but a black man is halfway oppressed but he's also half oppressor and, and they have these same obsession with hierarchies and lording it over each other but the one difference the one change is being and this is like the one mindfuck that makes it look like the opposite but it's not is that you, the highest hierarchy is the lowest hierarchy so it's like um you have to prove yourself to be the most oppressed and whoever proves themselves to be the most oppressed gets to be like the top dog who can bully everyone else and uh I felt like that type of attitude was kind of shot through this as well. Like this kind of like, uh, it's something I see a lot in a lot of this new art that comes, comes out this identity art, which is um, if I can prove that I'm traumatized, everything I do is okay. So basically at the end of this movie, they just hug it out. I'm like, this woman killed so many people, even if she was the victim of experiments, like the trauma shouldn't be a get out of jail free card. Like, I can't believe we're just going to hug our way um, out of this, but you know, it's okay. She was treated bad at some point and that's, that's it. It's funny you bring that up because right before this, I was rereading Kyle Wagner's um, 2014 Deadspin article, the future of the culture wars is here and it's Gamergate, which is a great article. article. I recommend it. 
Great art. Yeah, um, but I was thinking about what happened to you, Avery, because like, like that that shocked me. Like, you basically got like gamergated on the internet for expressing an anodyne, totally fine opinion about a movie. Um, uh, but yeah, like it was this combination of grievance and self-appointed expertise uh, and all like the rhetorical weaponry of an internet was comment she, section dropping over onto a culture. But she got well, gamergated by the any... people who would think they hate Gamergate. Yeah, yeah. Which I think it's more proof that these two sides are similar. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. Uh, before we go any further, should we read what she tweeted in case, you know, some people aren't so online, they might have missed what she actually said? Of course, you're right. Everything. You should, all right. You all right. I, I got it. I got awesome. it so I can read it. All right. Oh, so, I mean, I'm, it, I'm right here and it's my words. If that makes all right. Sense. Yeah, okay. I mean, it, do you have it in front of you? Do you? I have it in front of me, yeah. All right. Okay. You, you say it then. She, she okay. framed it and it's on her computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 right it's right behind the monitor. Uh, okay, there was a movie this year which came to the conclusion that you're allowed to treat your family abominably if it's the result of generational trauma. And if you saw that movie and thought, "Uh, fuck that," you're the bad guy. And then I followed up. Also, the mean, nasty IRS is evil. Brackets and ugly for trying to get a profitable business to pay its fair share of taxes and not write the owner's hobbies off as business expenses. Honestly, a lot of people need to calm down about someone not liking a film they like, a take that one of the directors shares. Uh, and then someone told me that it was about uh, empathy being revolutionary. I said I was anti that idea in general. Yeah. Um, empathy? What is this, like, Michelle Obama's speech in 2016? Uh, there's certain things that have people have read, and they've just kind of incorporated it into their lexicon, but they don't really change. And I feel like that empathy obsession came from Brene Brown. A lot of people read like Brene Brown and they just start saying the words empathy all the time, you know, and uh, bell hooks, but they don't actually change. They just arm themselves with language that sounds good to just stay the same kind of nasty people. That That's my personal take on where the empathy thing is coming from. So Avery, what was... What, oh, sorry, sorry God. No, 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 please. Well, I was going to be like, so what was your reaction to all of this? Like you obviously, I don't imagine expected this coming. Like, how did no, you feel and what did you mean, think once you started getting dogpiled? I, you know, I thought I might have a, a couple people that I'm mutuals with being like, oh, no, I enjoyed the movie or whatever. Or, you know, like quiet, quiet likes, but no retweets. Because I, I knew it was a bit of a, um, like a flashpoint for discussions online. But I, you know, I didn't, I didn't think it would blow up anywhere near as much. Um my reaction was mostly, I mean, initially I tried to double down as we always do. I tried to explain myself because anytime someone would come at me with a criticism, I would I would have a rebuttal to that that I felt pretty airtight in because I'm a I'm a smart person who can articulate things well. Um it it mostly got upsetting to me. I was fine with random strangers telling me to kill myself or telling me that I had no right to have an opinion on this film. It was when and this is my problem for being invested in the kind of like media Twitter world, but like mutuals or like former mutuals or friends of friends, like tweeting that I was a racist for not liking the film was Jesus really Christ. weird. I mean, the thing that struck me about um, the whole 4chan versus Tumblr thing is that there, those hierarchies are both reactions to neoliberal atomization being uh uh, propagandized and enforced by the way our society is currently structured, right? You totally. you break people into these little categories, and of course they're going to start ranking those categories and trying to create some hill that they can be king of, right? And the interesting thing this movie does in those terms is it it atomizes itself by saying this is a movie about Asian 
Americans, like second, first generation, all that stuff. It is very, very niche and you have to be of this specific identity to understand it. And um, if you're not, you you are lesser than those the people who who do understand it, obviously. While also being a massive breakthrough hit that is nominated for Best Oscar and has raked in multiple uh dollars of of its of its budget, right? And it's that it's that kind of small bean positioning again. Like it's both it's both things at once. It's a niche product for a very, very small audience that that anyone else can't understand. And it's also a massive, huge success that appeals to everyone and lines our pockets. And that was that was what most infuriated me about people saying you're racist and you can't understand this movie. One, I can, I'm smart. Two, the movie would fail if that were true. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Sorry, yeah, you're right. Went on a bit of a tangent no, there. Sorry. No, you didn't. No, no. You didn't no. at all. Yeah, Avery, actually, well, when I was looking at your tweet, I saw, I think this was the most popular reply, and it says, from one white woman to another, and then yeah, she screenshots uh, VeggieTales for some reason, it says, sometimes <laughs> it's not our turn to talk. Another popular <laughs> reply said, I say this with love and respect. This is your worst, whitest take. And it's like, no, there's a lot of people who didn't like that movie of all races. Um, you know, T didn't like it, he's black, I didn't like it, or I was they lukewarm just, on it, I'm Asian. They just ignore you usually, right? They, yeah, they, no, they, and it's they, just like, it's just like, what does... It's just the most obvious, uh, laziest defense to even having to argue on the merits is, oh, you're just a racist for, for not liking this. And it's, yeah, it's it's such bullshit. All right, y'all. So that is the end of part one. Go to, again, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two. Be good.